Welcome back, dear listener, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper and Cloud, and joining me this week is Patty Grinley to preview the AFLW prelim finals, as well as review round three of the AFL men's season and preview round four. Patty, how are you? Massive weekend of football that's just gone, and a massive weekend of football to come. Yeah, good day, Casper. Good to see you once more. Yeah, really excited for this weekend. I think um, we're seeing a lot of things start, start to take shape across both women's and men's competitions. Um, I think there's a lot of really interesting elements at play, really, that we can talk about today. So, yeah, pleasure to be here once again. Always good to have you, mate. And let's start with the AFLW prelim finals. Two tantalising matchups. First off, from the Adelaide Oval, the Adelaide Crows versus Melbourne. Uh, you can start with this one, Paddy. Who do you think is going to win, the Crows or the Demons, and why? I've got the Crows um, because they're, they've been the best team, really, in it since the competition's inception in 2017. Going for their third flag, which is just incredible when you consider that only really three have been won so far, obviously with the write-off at the end of 2020. Um, one of the best midfields in the competition by far, and there's a lot of concern with, with Melbourne, their injury issues. Um, Daisy Pierce obviously did her MCL in round nine. She's moved from Bright to Melbourne for a little while just to try and recuperate so she can be ready for a potential prelim, which Melbourne have won themselves into. So... She's, it's going to be touch and go if she plays. And I think if she does play, I very much doubt she's going to be fully conditioned and fully fit, fully ready to go. It sort of strikes me as that sort of Phil Davis 2019 grand final type situation. And we all know what happened there as well. So I'm, I'm tipping Adelaide. I think their midfield is just going to be a little bit too strong. I really like Karen Paxton. I like Louis Nissen, but I just do think that the likes of Ebony Marinoff, Ebony Marinoff, Chelsea Randall, and of course Aaron Phillips going through there will be far too strong for, for a Melbourne side that haven't had the luxury of a week's rest as well. So I've got Adelaide into their third grand final, which is just a, a remarkable, remarkable achievement. A fantastic team, the Crows, no doubt about it. And I think that they will win this and host the grand final for the second time at the Adelaide Oval. And I think that just because of a couple of reasons, um, that Phil Davis analogy, I think it's perfect because I always feel really nervous for a team when they bring in a player under an injury cloud. And I can see why Melbourne would try to bring in Daisy Pierce because she is such a great leader and she is such a great player. Um, but it's such a massive gamble. Like, even if you go back further than that, you know, the Bombers heading into the 2001 AFL Grand Final with plays under an injury cloud, you know, and Brisbane overrunning them in the second half. So yep. it's, it's, a, it's a massive gamble that I don't think Melbourne can afford to, to have. That being said, though, Melbourne on form, the hottest team in the competition, uh, I believe they're on a four or five game winning streak, which is incredibly impressive yeah. from the Demons. You know, they lost to Collingwood in round five. And since then, they've been flawless. In that stretch, they demolished the Crows. They did, yeah. By 28 points. You know, it was an incredibly, uh, it was an incredible effort from the Demons. 
But the Crows are just a far superior team in finals football. I just don't, I don't know what it is about them, but when it gets to the pointy end of the season, when it gets to finals, the best rises from the rest and Adelaide are the best. They have proven themselves to be the best team in the early part of the history of this AFLW competition. And I think that that's gonna continue. Additionally, Melbourne carrying such a long streak going into this game makes me a little bit nervous because streaks come to an end, you know? And for those reasons and those reasons only, I'm tipping the Crows. I think it's going to be a close one, but I'm tipping the Crows by about 14 points or so. Yep. Yeah, I think that that 28-point loss really, it does sort of muddle my thinking a little bit around this game. But I do think that the, the fact that they're playing at Adelaide, um, sorry, in Adelaide, um, rather than at Casey Fields as they did earlier in the season, I think it's going to be a big factor. Melbourne are really good at Casey with the, with the win that goes through there. I just trust the Crows more in a prelim. Um, I trust a team that isn't rushing one of their better players back from a knee injury. That might be one woman down really in the first half if Pierce, Daisy Pierce, rather, there's two Pierces, um, does play. So, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Adelaide, and I think, by two goals. Yep, fully agree with that one, Patty. And you can tell me what your prediction for this next game is. Brisbane versus Collingwood, 4.10pm on Saturday afternoon from the Gabba. Who do you think is going to win by how much and why? This is a harder one. I, I'm, I'm really, I think my heart says Collingwood because I love watching the, the Collingwood team play. I think they've got one of the more exciting teams in the competition. Ruby Schleichler off halfback, and then you've got Malloy, Davey, Benici, Lambert. I think one of the more exciting quartets in the competition. Like Chloe Malloy, I think is like top two, top three in the league. She's always basically managing a way to kick two or three remarkable goals a week. I'm going to take Brisbane. I think on the base, like my head says Brisbane. Um, they just got over the top of the pies in a game where they didn't really know where they were going to be playing until about 24 hours beforehand. They won by three points at Witten Oval. Um, I just feel a little bit more confident in the Lions. They've been really consistent this year. Collingwood, I think, probably peaked a bit earlier in the season. Though I think this is going to be a really good game. I think you're talking about a really mercurial Collingwood team. Uh, so I'm going to take Brisbane by three points. Same margin as they beat them by in round seven. So, but yeah, I think it, it's close. It is close. Um, but I'm going to back uh, Kathy Svark and Brie Conan to do a, ha a hatch job on Davy and Malloy as they did in round seven. And I reckon they'll just get over the top. What about you? Yeah, I'm tipping Brisbane as well. I think Collingwood, I agree with your point that they peaked early in the year. They were the best team in the competition for the first six rounds. Oh, yeah. And they met Brisbane. And since that loss to the Lions, their form has been meh. It's been, it's been yep. pretty average and Brisbane has been pretty good. Uh, looking at the, the game against North Melbourne, uh, I think Collingwood will be really happy with their first quarter where they kicked three goals to one and their last quarter where they held North Melbourne scoreless and kicked 20 points themselves to snatch victory. But what I think would 
what I think would worry Collingwood is their middle two quarters where they mm. kicked only one goal and they conceded six. And that's against a North Melbourne team that barely, barely made finals football. Yeah. You know, I look at that third quarter, especially where Collingwood kicked only one goal and North Melbourne kicked four. I, if I'm yeah. really looking at that and I'm thinking, geez, if we get, if we get a bit of a run on, we could have ourselves a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a party out there. Uh, I don't think it's going to be... I can't see Collingwood getting blown out, but I can see Brisbane winning comfortably just because, like Adelaide, Brisbane... So if Adelaide's been the best team in the competition so far, I think Brisbane's been the second best, right? They've always yeah. been yeah, okay. yeah. around that mark of if not making the finals and being in the grand final, unlucky not to win a premiership, honestly, losing the first two grand finals by six points absolute heartbreakers. Uh, I think they're going to get their chance for, for a revenge on the Crows mm-hmm. this year. Brisbane by 21 points. Um, wouldn't be surprised than that. And to be honest with you, unpredictable season. I could totally see Collingwood winning as well. But it should be a fascinating weekend of AFLW before. On to the men's competition. It was a close uh, some close games, some massive blowouts, a fascinating round three of football. Basically, dear listener, Patty and I, we're going to discuss our top two highlights and our top two lowlights, major disappointments to come from round three. Patty, I'll let you start. Uh, what was your uh, two highlights from round three? Oh. I really quite like this sort of brave new world world where everything old is new again, where we have players kicking bags. Like to see a guy like Josh Bruce kick 10 where, yeah, he kicked six at one point against North Melbourne also last year, but he's not been much of a scorer for the Western Bulldogs and he's not their number one forward. He's well behind Norton. And I think that Norton's role in Bruce kicking the double digits really hasn't been spoken about enough. I thought he was excellent and sort of, almost being a decoy full forward for, and giving Bruce space to work. But we've got Bruce kicking 10, three, I think. Harry Mackay kicking seven, four. Tex Walker at six. And the key thing, I think, is that, yes, those Bruce and Mackay bags came in in smashings where obviously 128 points to the good with the dogs and, and Carlton winning by eight or nine goals as well. But Tex Walker kicked six in a game that was on until the last minute, really. Like it was, that was a close, fantastic, exciting, tight game of football on a Friday night. And to have a guy kick six as part of that and it just be part of the atmosphere, it's really good to watch. It's so good to watch. It keeps you invested. Um, And I think it's probably a big tick for the AFL. There was a lot of um, concern and controversy about their new rules, about the the stand rule, about restricting the ability for the defensive player on the the mark. Um, But it's, it's probably improves the game. You get you get situations where in a blowout you can be interested in a player because a full forward's going bonkers and, and, and kicking like a, a massive haul that we don't usually see. So that that was that's been really good fun over this weekend. Um, just to watch, you know, a little bit more individual play, which has been good fun. I'd say number two, I think, is the Zach Bailey redemption arc. It feels about a month ago that um, Brisbane beat Collingwood on Thursday night, but 
it's good to see, again, this is just the, the individual rather than the team, but a guy like Zach Bailey, who would have won the game against Geelong, um, if he were given the free kick that was the AFL said that he should have been given, he would have kicked the goal from the top of the goal square. Brisbane would have won on or after the siren. Obviously, didn't get that chance. So, of course, next week, Daniel Rich hits him up inside 50, has a shot after the siren for 40, and it did not ever look like deviating. Um, so, that's awesome. I, lo- I love the individual storylines that we can sort of talk about through a season. Um, and it's probably, I think, with this Brisbane team, especially now having to play the Bulldogs and Ballarat this week, like that's a win that considering their last couple of weeks, like you would not have given them. Like I, I did tip Brisbane, but I felt very uncomfortable doing so. That, that, that's not a game that they should have won. And I think when you look back in August, when the eight starts to really decide itself and how tight it looks like it's going to be, something like that is really going to be helpful. So, yeah, go Zach Bailey. What about you, Casper? You're forgetting Kale Hooker kicking five goals against St. Kilda. Of course, of course, of course. Now, uh, dear listener, for those who don't know, I am a supporter of both Essendon and Sydney. And normally, I don't like adding... I don't like talking about both of those teams because, you know, I, I, I don't want to seem like I'm... Um, you know, playing favourites or whatever. But I'm sorry, after the weekend, I have to mention that my top two highlights are undoubtedly Essendon and the Sydney Swans. First off, with the Bombers. Easily our best win since round two 2016 when we beat Melbourne at the MCG with 50,000 of our supporters marched to the ground in a year that no one expected us to win again. A few years later, after the first two games of the 2021 season, I'm guessing that a lot of people were thinking that we would struggle to win a game too. And what a turnaround. A week is a long time in football. My goodness gracious me. Our biggest win since 2014. First victory against the Saints since 2018. Without our best defender in Michael Hurley, we restricted this team that finished the third highest with the third highest goal tally of 2020 and the second highest number of goals per game in the competition to just nine goals. Now, for those of you into statistics, you might know that the Saints only kicked an average of 9.8 goals last year. So you might say, oh, 9.8 goals and a nine goals. It's not that much of a difference. But consider the fact that last year they had shortened quarters. Consider that with longer quarters against a team that is expected to challenge for the top four. Well, Mm. we're a team that's expected to finish in the bottom four and we restricted them to a lower goal tally than what their average was last year. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness gracious me, it was exciting. <laughs> well, not only that, last year, right, I know it's a short and quarters and everything, we kicked an average of eight goals last year. We kicked 22 on the weekend. You did, yeah. 22. Jakey, it's great to have you back. Parish. I'm sorry I've ever doubted you, and I'm sorry any Essendon supporter has ever doubted you. AMT, playing footy, is a thing of beauty. Goodness gracious me, the Bombers are back. Dare I say it? The Bombers are back. Their opponents tonight, the Sydney Swans. Man, I thought that the Swans were going to have the most impressive win of the weekend. Obviously, they played before Essendon did. And I know I tipped the Swans to win, but even I did not see that performance coming. For the first time in years, Sydney look 
looked like a premiership threat. A premiership threat. We'll get to that in greater detail later on in the episode. But so far this year, we've seen something from Sydney that we haven't seen in a long time, which is a sustained scoring threat. 19 goals in round one, 18 goals in round two, 17 goals in round three. That's already 54 goals in 2021 so far. In 2020, they kicked only 128 for the entire season. That was an average of 7.5 goals per game in 2020. So far in 2021, that number is 18. Amazing. And yeah, I know, I know short and quarters and everything. But point is, opposition defenses are now going to sweat on playing the Swans if they see that the Swans are coming up in their picture. There's so many scoring threats. And with Buddy coming back this weekend, you don't know where the goals are going to come from. Is it going to be Warner? Is it going to be Reed? Is it going to be Buddy? Is it going to be McDonald? Is it going to be Golden? Mate, these Swans are exciting to watch. The only caveat is... I. I think Sydney's defense, I'm not 100% trusting just yet. Because whilst three incredible victories, they did concede 33 scoring shots to the Crows. So I'm just saying that defensively, the Swans might be a little bit but offensively, they are absolutely incredible. Now on to the major disappointments out of round three. And I'll start this one off, Patty, if that's all right. North Melbourne, any team... <laughs> Any time that a team loses by over 100 points, regardless of the circumstances, I think they deserve to be mentioned in the lowlights for that particular weekend. The fact that their loss was the biggest win that the Dogs had had in their 90-plus year history in the competition is just another level of embarrassment. Oh, and get this, right? The last time that a player kicked 10-plus goals in a game, you want to know who did that? Ben Brown, when he was playing for North Melbourne against Port Adelaide round 22-2019. North won that game by 86 points and effectively ended Port Adelaide's hopes of making finals football that year. Oh, how quickly things have fallen apart for North Melbourne. Oh, yeah. And I suspect more immediate pain in their future. Adelaide, led by a rampant Tex Walker this weekend, followed by a clash against the Cats in Geelong. Maybe we'll see Jeremy Cameron return in that game. Even if we don't, you still have Tom Hawkins. That's number one. Number two, Port Adelaide. First real challenge that they have faced since the 2020 prelim final loss against the Tigers. The Tigers lost earlier on Saturday against the Swans and Port Adelaide were presented with a golden opportunity to beat the Eagles and prove that they deserve to be premiership favorites early in this season and as a team that could take the premiership away from the Tigers. And they only hit two goals in the first half. Are you kidding me? Only two goals in the first half. No one is going to take you seriously until you take an opportunity to stamp yourselves as a premiership threat, and they threw that opportunity away against the Eagles. Not to take anything away from West Coast, they were incredible. But I mean, seriously, you're not going to win too many games of football only kicking two goals in the first half. Look, I don't know if they've been believing in their own hype. You know, the media has been hyping them up. Everyone's been hyping them up. I've been hyping them up. I don't know if they'd been believing in their own hype, but if they had, then that mental attitude has to change and it has to change quickly. Mm. This weekend, they play the Tigers. Next weekend, they play Carlton at the MCG. Round six, they play against the Saints at the Adelaide Oval. And though the Saints may be struggling at the moment, Don't forget that Port Adelaide in the home and away season last year 
lost three games by big margins. One of them was against the Saints at the Adelaide Oval. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before round seven at the Gabba against Brisbane, and yet, and yet another matchup that the Power struggled in in 2020. The time to prove yourselves is now, Port Adelaide. So may the please may 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 the please may the real Port Adelaide please stand up. Nice. English on the way. Patty, how about you? Major disappointments. Well, if we're going to talk about a a, uh, a team that really needs to stand up, then um, you can't really go past the Saints, can you? Like this is the other side of the Essendon, um, the Essendon game, the success that they experienced. St Kilda were just. It's it, it. I am. I was shocked. Really, they look every bit the team that sort of rocked up this year, thinking that it would just happen. Um, they've done the same thing that they did the year before um, where they've added a bunch of players from other clubs. So it was, it was Butler and Jones the year beforehand. It's been Higgins, Crouch, McKern and Frawley this year. And they just look like horrendous. Um, like just everything from from dropping, obviously playing an Essendon team with no real recognised Ruckman, from dropping their Ruckman and Paul Hunter to play McKernan and, and, and Carlisle in the Ruck and say, oh, we'll, we'll be right. We'll go with two non-recognised Ruckman. We can split it elsewhere. They got smashed. Like, they got... Like, it's okay to lose games. Like, as the reigning Premier will tell you, you can lose a game in round three and still be fine. Like, Richmond have done it two years on the trot. Right? They got blown out by the Giants in 2019. They got smashed by Hawthorne in 2020. They won the flag both years. But when you lose by 12 goals to a team that is very clearly rebuilding and yes Essendon were exceptional um, but you can't deny the fact that this is a team who are playing Harry Jones in his third game Archie Perkins on debut uh, Alec Waterman on, on club debut Nick Cox in his third game Peter Wright's getting a real run at it for the first time in a long time they've got Caldwell Shield their number one ruckman Draper out. like this is very like you look on this on paper, and Essendon look like roadkill. They look like a team that is going to ride off the year and get as many games into young players instead. That just does not translate to a twelve goal loss. Like you cannot lose that game by twelve goals and still expect to make finals, let alone top four, which is where this team should be aiming. So I hope for for St Kilda's St Kilda's sake, it's an aberration. Um, but it was just horrific. Like they had. They had about 120 less disposals, Casper, yet laid 32 less tackles. Like 32. That's insane. There were five players on the ground with zero tackles, including their gun small forward down Butler, who had zero. And then the next 10 players on the ground had one. So it's 15 players with 10 tackles between them in four quarters of, of footy. So, God, yeah. It's it's seriously it's the type of performance you'd expect from a really like a, a genuinely bad team, and the Saints aren't a genuinely bad team, and now they've lost Gresham for the year for, with an Achilles injury, so just about everything that could go wrong really has gone wrong. Thank God they've got Jack Steele on that midfield because it might have been a hundred points without it. Um, but yeah, just incredibly disappointing. All credit to Essendon to playing so well, which they did, and their pressure was immense. The young players looked incredibly solid, but. For a team to that that really made the second week of the finals and and pushed Richmond in the in that semi final for a little while, that just does not translate. So, big concerns at the Saints. 
Casper. I'll let you go to, oh, wait, no, I'll go to my next one. And that's the GWS Giants. Um, and this one's a little bit more of a, of a formulaic, if you will, but um, that, that, that's the end of their premiership run, I think. If there was any sort of any little sliver of hope left, I think Cornelio doing a syndesmosis and then Davis and DeBoer also copying long-term injuries. That's probably curtains, I think, for this run, for this um, generation of Giants. They, they're, they're nil and three. Um, they just did not start well this season at all. But that Saints game, um, which we, which they were still, you know, we're still thinking they're a good chance to win. The Saints were depleted. Then they get absolutely destroyed by our Frio team, but were also depleted. And then they come up against Melbourne and Canberra. And after staying with them for a little while, just fall away completely. Yes, injuries had a say, but yeah, I think that's it. I think the Giants will probably, they'll miss finals this year. They've probably got to think about the next step of, that this team will take. And you've got to think um, about Josh Kelly now. Like He's got to be close to being out the door. So not a good weekend for those two clubs. I think there is still definitely, ability for the Saints especially to turn it around but I think for the Giants it's it's going to be a, a rough trot for the next um, nine, ten weeks of the season. Yep, fair point you make. Giants definitely in a spot of bother. So I can't remember if it was on Fox Sports, I believe it was. They mentioned that the Giants may need to take half a step back to go, or one step back to go two steps forward, kind of reminiscent on what Dimmer said at the end of 2016. Um, but I can't, I'll be honest with you, I can't see GWS having a similar turnaround in 2022, just because Richmond still had such a talented group of young to middle-aged forward uh, players. You know, they had Dusty, they had Cochin, they had Jack, Something just wasn't working for you for you lot in 2016. Managed to turn that around in 2017. I look at the Giants now, and I think that you know some of their most influential players are coming towards the end of their career, if not are at the end of their career. And I look at the young players, and I think aside from Kelly and Taranto, who is there to step up and take the place of Phil Davis? Who's there to step up and take the place of Callum Ward? Who's there? Who's there to stand up now to replace Heath Shaw? What about when Mumford retires? What are you going to do? So I think for the Giants, they're definitely in a spot of bother. I agree with that. On the topic of St Kilda, let's move on to the main topic slash talking points to come out of round three. Dear listener, if you are new to this podcast, this is the part of the podcast section where we discuss the four main talking points out of the round. Uh, First one, are the Saints in a spot of bother? And I'll start off with this one, Patty. Quite simply, yes. Now, I don't know what it is because their list is good enough to win the flag. For me, it's an attitude problem. To put in the effort they did against Melbourne, they were lucky they didn't lose by more. Melbourne, they were inaccurate. And then to follow that up, talking all week about how, you know, they're going to rebound, they're going to respond, how, you know, the Melbourne loss didn't represent us and whatever. To come out against Essendon and give away so many more disposals and to lay a lot less tackles. You don't see that from a good team. No, you don't. No. Now, 
Now, the good, the good thing for the Saints is that over the last few years, right, I think 2020 was the exception, you know, due to the shortened quarters and everything, but during the last few years, the eventual premiers suffered at least one embarrassing loss in the season. So 2017, the Tigers got crushed by the Saints. 2019, the Tigers got crushed by the Cats. 2016, it was the Cats who crushed the Bulldogs. In 2018, I think West Coast lost to North Melbourne by 40 points. Mm. Random result that season, considering where the Eagles finished and where North Melbourne finished. So, you know, it's not the end of the world for St. Kilda, but they need to turn it around and very quickly because they play Richmond, as I previously mentioned, Richmond, sorry, West Coast, Richmond, and Port Adelaide in the next three games. And at the moment, based on form, I can't see them winning any of them. Now, a one and two start isn't great, but it's not disastrous. A one and five start, that's a tricky hole to dig yourself out of. So are the Saints in a spot of bother? I think they are. Shout out you, Patty. Yeah. Um, look, Sydney made the finals from zero and six, so it's not impossible. But, oh, look, it's it's just more about the brand of footy that they played. Like, teams that make the finals don't generally play like that. Like, it sort of reminds me of that, Bulldogs Essendon game, and I'm, I'm sorry for bringing this one up, Casper, but when oh, the dogs no. kicked out 21 goals flat, um, and from that moment onwards, you knew that you know if Essendon stumbled into the finals, which they did, and they came up against West Coast, it w- was going to be a bit ugly, and it and it was West Coast. I think had about 15 minutes of competition, and then just really ran over the top of the Dons. Um, that's why being a bit, bit harsh to Essendon. But the comparison, I think, is there for, for this St Kilda team because that's the type of loss where even if you think, oh, they, if they make the finals, they're not going to make any noise because, like, if that's what Essendon can do to St Kilda, can you imagine what a full flight Port Adelaide or, or Sydney even at the moment will do to them? Like, Sydney have had two years, really, of a rebuild where they've just got young players in to complement their existing talent pool. And I reckon that if they'd have come up against that St Kilda side, it would have been, you know, 80 points. Like, same circumstances. They were just woeful, really. I don't think this rules them out of finals because they are – it is only round three. It's easy to, to make sweeping statements in April, but the reality is, is that we've got a long season to go. But something – identity-wise needs to sort of fall into place rather quickly because you can't be making that your really like, you can't be defining your year by a loss like that. Like that can't be what kicks the next era of St Kilda off. Like they have to really, they have to accept their loss. They have to move on from it and get better from it. Whether that means that they make a few sweeping changes, blood a few younger players drop some existing guys who aren't playing very well. There's been a lot of conversation about whether Brad Hill deserves a spot next week. Maybe it's something like that. I think that's what really has kicked off kicked off the Port Adelaide renaissance, the West Coast renaissance, the 
the Richmond Renaissance and now the Sydney Renaissance, where the team looks like it should be over the hill. It's got existing talented players who are probably at their peak and then a bunch of guys who just sort of fill spots. Maybe they need to say, okay, look, we're going to do just the quick little three-week reset where we're going to give someone like Jack Vitell three straight weeks in the middle of the ground. Don't worry about how well you play. We're just going to give you that time. Maybe give Tom Highmore, who's one of their newer players, they drafted mature age recruit. I think he's like 20, 21. But maybe just pop him in a back pocket um, and just leave him there. See how he goes. Because you're not getting it from your experienced players. And as we've seen with Sydney this year already, if you have the right mix of good young kids and experienced campaigners, the likes of Kennedy, Parker, ETC, and I know you want to talk about the Swans more in a second, so I won't go too far. Um, but the Saints just, they lacked a lot of drive. And for me, that's a thing that's not easily fixed. So there are massive concerns. Yep, fully agree with that one there, Patty. Um, I'll say this. I think St Kilda, it's a puzzling loss. It's a really puzzling loss because on paper it's a game that they should have. If somebody told me before the match that the margin would be 75 points, I would have sighed and I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right because that's where you expect the two teams to be. You know, you expect the Saints to be yeah. a 12-goal better team than Essendon at the moment. And it was the exact opposite way. So if I'm a St. Kilda supporter, I'm furious. I am so mad. And they have to actually walk the walk this week, not just talk the talk. Speaking of those swans, though, can Sydney finish inside the top four? Patty, I'll let you start on this one. Yeah. um, I think they can. I don't know if they will. This team reminds me a lot of Port Adelaide in 2019 where they drafted Rosie Dersma and Zach Butters to sort of complement both Wines, Gray, who was sort of at this point, we were a bit worried about Port Adelaide being a rebuilding team. But they pretty much had one year where they didn't make the finals. They were very close to, they started the year red hot, sort of fell away as the young guys got a bit tired, but then jumped straight back to the top of the ladder next year. So... I think history tells us that they probably won't make the top four unless there's something that really like bo- like pops out. Like I think you're you're putting a lot on the shoulders of guys like Goulden and Warner and Braden Campbell and Logan McDonald to really compete all year long. And yes, I think they've got um they've got obviously Buddy Franklin to come back into the side, but I actually think that they were better off against Richmond without Buddy. And the reason being is that when you've got a guy like Buddy in your team, that's where all the footy is going to go. You're going to be kicking it to the big number 23 because he has every chance of kicking eight and winning the game off his own boot. But because they had Papley, Heaney, Sam Wicks, you know, Logan McDonald, all these other ways to hurt you, Richmond never got settled defensively and the Swans just kicked goal after goal. I've never seen Richmond's defence get picked through. And yes, it was without Vlosten and Hooley, but... It doesn't really matter. This team has always been the defensive benchmark, really, since they won the flag in 2017. And they've basically continued that by replacing Rance with Balter. But City just toyed with them. It was really incredible. So the Swans' depth is their strength. And I think the talent that they have that is, you know, 20, 28 or 26 plus 
is incredibly helpful. You've got this sort of three waves of existing talent like Parker, Kennedy, Franklin, uh, Rampy, and then then this bottom layer, this middle layer rather of Mills, um, probably Tom McCartan, Jordan Dawson, um, one other guy whose name always escapes me, Ollie Florent, um, who are coming through basically going from being like developing players into really flourishing into their own roles. And then you've got the younger guys, Gould and McDonald, who we've mentioned and we can talk about all day long. So look, there's so much positive. I don't, I think this year's already ticked for the Swans really. It doesn't really matter if they even make the finals from here because the young guys are so good. As long as they can really keep it, uh, like obviously like, you know, I say competitive, but they just beat the reigning premier. So they're definitely competitive. Smash the reigning premier. Um, so yeah, ghost ones, I think they can make the top four. I think as long as they make the top eight, they'll be happy from this position. They're three and zip. So yeah, I don't have them personally in my top four, but I do have them in my top eight and I do have them in my top, top eight very comfortably. I reckon the Swans, there's an air, there's an air of 2019 Brisbane, 2015 Western Bulldogs, 2013 Port Adelaide about these 2021 Swans. I don't know what it is about them. Maybe it's the youth coming through. Maybe it's the perfect balance that they've struck between youth and experience. Maybe it's because of their early season impressive victories. I think... Looking at those teams that I just mentioned, they they had early in their respective seasons where they came from nowhere to make the finals, they had at least one impressive victory against a really good team from the year before. 2013, heading into it, the Power were a bottom four team. The Eagles were a top four team. They clashed in round five that year. Eagles led by 41 points. Port came back and won it by less than a goal. Yeah. Port finished in the uh, finished in a um, the season in a losing semi-final. Eagles finished 13th. That's beside the point. 2015, the Dogs headed into it were bottom four teams. Sydney were coming off of a grand final loss early in the year. The Dogs beat the Swans at the SCG. And that's a game that everyone kind of took the Dogs seriously from that point on. 2019. Heading into the season, Brisbane finished, I think, bottom two or bottom three the year before. Eagles won the premiership. Round one at the Gabba, Lions crush it, Eagles. The Swans have had two such victories so far in 2021. Brisbane in round one, and then Richmond last weekend. Anyone looking at the Swans now and saying, no, they're not a premiership threat yet, I don't know what you're on about, but I'm looking at these swans and I'm thinking the sky is the limit from them, for them. The only, the only question mark, I think, aside from their defense, which I just mentioned, um, I, I, I wonder if they can maintain the rage throughout the entire season. They're still a young team, so it remains to be seen how they're going to go during the remaining 19 matches that they have. But the good thing about making finals football is that you only need to win 12 or 13 out of those 22 games. So if they can yeah. build a buffer, then it can be a total reverse of the 2017 season where they had to win almost 
all of their remaining 16 matches to make the finals. You you don't have to, you know, if, if they if they manage to go six and zero from the first six rounds, you only got to win seven more games the remaining 15 matches or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's doable for the Swans. So I think they can make finals. Top four might be a bit of a stretch because I think that they are more than four teams at the moment that are better than the Swans. But I wouldn't be shocked if Sydney made the top four, to be honest. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Speaking of maintaining the rage, can Carlton maintain the rage? And I tell you what, I think they can. I saw something, and I know I tipped Fremantle to win on the weekend. Geez, how disappointing were the Dockers. Carlton, I saw something that I hadn't seen from them in a long time. Maturity. They went into a potential danger game. They're expected to win. There's a lot of pressure on them to win. And they won convincingly like they needed to do. That first half especially. To lead against a Fremantle team you know, they, who was on the ropes, Calvin took full advantage of that at halftime, nine goals to four, game over. If they can maintain the rage, especially from that first half, especially from that second quarter where they kicked six goals to one, they can navigate a potentially tricky upcoming stretch in their draw. The next few weeks is going to be challenging for them. The Suns on the Gold Coast this weekend, Port Adelaide at the NCG, Brisbane at Marvel, and then a possibly rejuvenated Essendon at the MCG. But looking at that, that's a doable stretch for Carlton. And they have to prove themselves as finals contenders. And the time to do that is now. Can they maintain the rage? I think they can. The major question is, will they maintain the rage? We'll find out. But Patty, do you think the Blues can maintain the rage? Um, I don't trust them. I'm sorry. Um, I just can't bring myself to trust Carlton um, after tipping them to beat Collingwood, going to the game um, with my Carlton supporting mate and watching them just serve up absolute tripe. Yeah, that must have been uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but look, I think their forward line's much improved. And I think the fact that they're not all there yet, but you've just got Mackay, who I think is really honestly close to the, the all-Australian full forward, centre-half forward spot, along with Tex Walker. Like, every game he's played, he's been dangerous. Against Richmond, he was good. He just couldn't convert. He really should have had four. He ended up two with two, three, and one not scoring. He was excellent against Collingwood. He had a great duel with Darcy Moore. Moore probably took the points, but Mackay took every opportunity he actually got and kicked four straight, which is the best you can do as a key forward in a one-on-one -on -one battle. And then obviously bagging seven against Frio. I don't think it means as much to smack Frio at Marvel without Fife and half their list. Frio have had a horrific start to the year if we we're talking about injuries. They're not really going to start recovering from that for another fortnight at least, really. They've got, they got Walters back, but Fife was the out. And he's going to be back in this week, we hope, because he's such a good player, Fife. But um, I don't trust them. I think... Patrick Cripps still has way too much to do. Sam Walsh is probably going to end up outstripping him as a player, if not because he's just very good, but also because Cripps is going to have to carry that midfield for such a long time. He's the only guy there with the real size and strength that can really hold a pack up. And they've got all these other guys who are 
like a guy like Mark Murphy, who really, in my opinion, shouldn't be getting a game every week, but they just don't have the guy who can come in and really take his spot and go further. So a lot hangs on really Carlton being able to give Cripps a bit of a rest because that game against Fremantle, against the side, which, by the way, didn't really have that big body to oppose him because Fife was injured. Um, and that, that midfield for Frio was basically a Brayshaw who's sort of blossoming, but still quite a small player. Chera, who's a more outside type midfielder. David Mundy, who's probably in his last year at age 36. They didn't really have the size to go up against Cripps. And that's where he's good. But I don't really think that against a team um, who do have that big midfielder. Um, for example, against a guy like Hugh Greenwood this week for the Suns, that Cripps is going to have that impact every week. So I think Carlton can try to maintain the rage, but until really I see some massive improvement from the younger players, a guy like Paddy Dow, who looked good in preseason, but has been really disappointing, to, to be honest, to start the year, just hasn't really gotten near it. Um, so until maybe like a Zach Williams can really take over in the midfield and give Cripps a bit of a break and work with Walsh, I still think Carlton are in that sort of 10th to 13th part of the ladder. I don't really think this win against Fremantle has done much more than just alleviate some pressure that they would have had after losing to Collingwood. Um, I just, I do think they might get up this week on the Gold Coast because Gold Coast have no Ruckman left on their list. Um, not a good time to be a knee on the Gold Coast folks, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm st- I don't trust them. And I really don't think that they're going to be a final team this year, even with this performance. Though I am stoked to see Harry Mackay really start to dominate. Speaking of Collingwood, a couple of close losses for the Pies to start the year. Will they cost Collingwood a spot in September football in 2021, Paddy? Maybe. Um, that's if they get there. I think Collingwood, it is a massive missed opportunity because the Pies really, ah, like, like that, that's a game that they would have really had a massive chance to win. They should have won that game. They really should have because Brisbane had no, Brisbane, they lose by a kick the week before. They have this whole COVID crisis. They don't get to go home. Um, you pl- they have to change venues at the last minute. Like, this is a game they lose. Um, but Again, I, I tipped Brisbane and I'm happy to take it, but it wasn't without a lot of trepidation. But I don't know if, yeah, Collingwood are just, I think they're a limited team at the moment. They don't have that massive improvement coming from a number of players yet. You're seeing a sort of stagnation across the list, which is really why they really need to start playing use. Jake Nile wrote a great piece in this in, in yesterday's paper talking about how Essendon and Sydney have been able to have a big impact from their young players and from their three to five game players. And you talk about calling about guys they've brought in, like they've played Ollie Henry, who played round one, then got dropped. Bo McCreary made his debut as the medical sub. Um, he is playing on the field this week, but they just don't seem to be taking their team seriously. They seem to be thinking that they're still that sort of top four competitive team, which I just don't think they are anymore. They might sneak into the bottom half of the eight, and if they do miss out and it's because of this one-point loss, I would really think that as a club, they'd need to identify the issue as being their list and their age profile rather than losing by a kick after the siren. Although they should have won that game, let's be honest. 
Yeah, but let's, you're right. Let's be let's be honest. That, that is the uh, that is the Collingwood way. This is a game that they should have won. Uh, undoubtedly, Collingwood supporters listening to this, I'm sure has I'm sure have a uh, plethora of examples of games that they should have won but didn't. Uh, such as life when you're a Collingwood supporter. Look, to make finals football, the magic number is 13. Sometimes it's 12, mm. but it's mostly 13. You need 13 wins also. And that normally guarantees you a spot in the finals football. Sometimes you can get away with less, like how in 2009, Essendon finished eighth with only a 10-win record, 10-11-1. After their two losses, Collingwood can now only afford another seven losses or so this year. Their remaining fixture includes Brisbane at the Gabba, the Eagles twice, Port Adelaide twice, Sydney in Sydney, Richmond, Geelong, Melbourne, and a return match against the Carlton team that will be out to prove that it belongs in finals for four. And if Essendon play like we did against the Saints a few more times this year, then both of Collingwood's clashes against the Bombers become difficult for the Pies. And that's not even going into upsets, right? This year has been filled with upsets. And if that continues, Collingwood cannot afford a slip up against a team like St Kilda, Hawthorne or Adelaide, who they play in Adelaide, by the way. It's very difficult to see Collingwood escaping that fixture, that remaining draw. Yeah, yeah. Only seven more losses. But I will say this, if they do make it, then no one can doubt their finals merit because they fully deserve to be there if they make it. But it's a big if. I think it's a bridge too far this year for this Collingwood team, to be honest. Um, I just don't really see how they're going to be as good as they were last year. And last year, they just made the eight. So I think they'll probably be overtaken by Sydney and Melbourne, at least, this year. Um, There's probably scope for... I think the Bulldogs, obviously, have already jumped up over the top of them. Maybe they jump over the top of St Kilda if they really do fall. But I just don't really see where the where the, the winning streak and the, and the consistent performances are going to come from. Agreed with that. On to round four of the AFL season. Thursday night football, these two teams normally play classic matches against each other. I'll start with this one, if that's all right, Patty. Sydney, Essendon at the SCG, and I'm tipping an upset. I think Essendon's going to win by seven points. couple of reasons. Last four games, Essendon has done actually pretty well against the Swans. It's been three wins to Essendon out of the last four matches against the Sydney Swans. Sydney, they haven't had the best home ground advantage over the last few years. And one of the teams that I think don't fear the SCG like they used to is Essendon. Because I remember for a good portion of the 2010s, whenever Essendon would travel to the SCG, I would look at that as an Essendon supporter and I would just groan in frustration because I knew that it would be another massive loss. And my Sydney supporter self would be super excited because I knew that it would be a super massive win. Uh, But it hasn't been that way over the last couple of years. Don't, don't forget last year when Essendon beat the Swans at the SCG in round two. 2019, the Dane Rampey game. The Swans won, but really that should have been an Essendon victory. 
Yeah. I think unless Dane Ramsey decides to channel his inner rock climber, I don't think the Swans are going to win. And I think it's because that I think Sydney's due for a come down. I agree, yeah. When you've been up for that long, I think the Swans are due for a come down. And what this game reminds me of is round four, 2019, when the Bombers were playing the Hot Lions, who were on a three-game winning streak to, to start the year. And the Bombers had had a so-so start to the season, got their first win in round three the week earlier, came out and beat the Lions. Now, I don't think we'll beat the Swans by seven goals. And I don't think that McDonald's and Woody is going to kick seven goals on Thursday night tonight. But I do expect Essendon to win. However, these games are almost always a toss-up. Could easily see the Swans winning. But I'm tipping the Bombers. How about you, Paddy? Yeah, I do think Sydney are due. That being said, I don't think that they're going to drop this game to the Bombers. They're back on their home deck. They look really good there. You've got Buddy Franklin coming back into this team. And I do think that if we're going to talk about youth and who's really going to be tired out, I reckon it's probably... I think Essendon probably come back to earth a little bit this week. Um, I think Sydney probably end up... like They've got GWS the week after. They've got Then they've got Gold Coast up on the, uh, up on the Gold Coast. And then we have no idea where uh, when they're going to play Geelong, but it will be at the SCG. So I think that might be the the game where they really get, I think, come back to earth a little bit after that stretch. I just think Essendon don't really have the, the facilities to really go through Sydney's close, precise kicking game, control the ball, but then multifaceted forward attack where they've got really any sort of player can hurt you. Like it, we, we've got, I spoke about earlier with Wicks, Papley, but then you add Buddy back in, Logan McDonald. If Sydney just change up where they attack through their forward line, um, I think that Essendon might struggle. I just don't really think their defence is going to be able to handle it. Um, I do like Jordan Ridley. Aaron Francis has had a good year, but I think adding in like a young guy like Brandon Zerk Thatcher, who hasn't really taken off. Nick Hines has been good, but I just think that they might get run off their feet a little bit. So I'm taking I'm taking the Swans, I reckon, by 22 points. Ooh, you think it's going to be that comfortable, huh? By the way, if you, yeah, could, tell the, yeah. uh, if you could tell the change in sound quality, I've just changed to my Bluetooth headphones. They are finally charged after charging yeah. the whole episode. So you might hear a little bit of a change in sound, dear listener. And Patty, it should be an interesting one. Yeah, I can see the Swans winning. I don't think it'll be that much. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be a good game. Uh, on to Friday night. Speaking of a good game, I'll let you start this one, Patty. Your Tigers play the power at the Adelaide Oval. Rematch of two of the best games of the 2020 season. Obviously, that awesome prelim final. And the best game, I think, of the home and away season last year as well, when the power won by 20-odd points or so. And a close game that I think the margin... Margin didn't do that game justice, to be honest. No, no. It was a good game of footy. But... I'll let you start this one, Petty. Can the Tigers do it? Look, oh, God. I'm usually very pessimistic tipping with my team, especially games away and teams as good as Port Adelaide. But I have a funny feeling about this one because Richmond tends to really get up for games where they're not expected to win, where they have a lot of injuries. It's happened in 2019, basically the exact same game in round four. Richmond were coming off two straight losses. They had... 
Rance threw his knee in round one. They got smacked by Collingwood round two, beat up by the Giants in round three. No Martin, no Cochin, no Rance, no Rewalt. Shane Edwards captaining the team because the entire leadership group was out injured. They had Sydney Stack in his second game, Liam Baker early in his career, Shea Bolton early in his career, Jack Ross on debut. This incredibly young team that no one really gave a shot against support team that was really flying at the start of this year, and they won by a goal. And they've already announced two debutants, Will Martin and Ryan Mansell will debut for Richmond. The same situation, Vlosten's out hurt, Prestia's out hurt, Cochin may not get up with a hamstring injury. It just seems to be a little bit of deja vu type situation. And I do think that as a club, this suits Richmond very well. I wasn't hugely impressed with Port against West Coast. Yes, they'll respond, but... That made me think about the start of the year they've had. And they've come up against a north side, which are basically dead in the water, really, at the moment. And they followed it up by playing Essendon at Adelaide Oval. So they've had a quite a soft start to the year and then ran into West Coast, who, by the way, haven't exactly... They have been good, but they haven't been, like, 2018 West Coast good. They, they just got beaten by the Dogs at Marvel um, and then smashed... Port just absolutely smacked them up. So I don't think this is the best time for Port Adelaide to run into Richmond. I don't think this is the best time for Richmond to run into Port Adelaide, but I just think that Richmond are better suited for this type game. So I'm going to ignore my pessimism and tip the Tigers um, by four points. Ooh, in a thriller. I think it's going to be a close one too. I think Port have more to lose from this game I than agree. Richmond do. Yeah. I think Richmond have traditionally started the last few seasons a lot slower than how they finished them, which is ideally how you would want to, a season to go. Uh, because of those two reasons, and I think because of that, the Adelaide Oval, and I know, I know, I know that the last three times that the Tigers have played Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval, the Tigers won two of them. I get that. But I think with Richmond having the injuries that they had out of that Swans game, having two debutants, as you just mentioned, I think Port Adelaide are still going to be angry after the way that their season finished last year. Because of those factors mm. and because they had the home crowd advantage, their home ground advantage, one of the best in the league, I'm tipping the power to win by 10 points. But I'm putting them on notice. They <laughs> cannot, cannot go into any game expecting them to win. They cannot expect victory in any match this season, Port Adelaide, but especially against the Richmond Tigers. If they do that against Richmond on Friday, the Tigers will win by 100 points. But because I don't yeah. think they will, wow. I'm tipping Port Adelaide by 10 points. How about that for a point of difference? Port Adelaide will either win oh, by okay. 10 or lose by 100. <laughs> Very democratic. Uh, um, you better jump on to your next game, which I think is really big, which is the Docks. This is the Dogs Brisbane one. At Mars Stadium in mm. Ballarat. I'll, uh, I'll start this one off, Paddy, if that's all right. Look, Bingo. the Lions play the Dogs really well. I know the Dogs are favourites heading into it. They've been, you know, they've had the better starts of the year. But really, Brisbane are one bad, free, non decision away from being two and one instead of one and two, right? They play well against the Dogs. I think it'll be close. 
Dogs and the Lions the last few years have played a lot of close games against each other. Because Brisbane have more to prove and more to lose from this game, similar to Port Adelaide against Richmond, I expect Brisbane to win. Plus, I think the Dogs are due for a come down after that North shellacking. Uh, normally, when you have such an easy training run against a team like Dogs did against the Kangaroos, it's really difficult to come up against a really talented team in Brisbane because it's almost mm. like you have a bruised screen counter and then all of a sudden you play against a team that I think is going to challenge for the flag this year. Because of that, I'm tipping Brisbane to win by 11 points. Can I say the Dogs winning? Yes, but I think Brisbane by 11 points. I'm going to really um, give you a massive point of difference on this one. I think that Brisbane after their third straight week of playing in Victoria, where they've had to go to Geelong, then stay in a hotel for a couple of days, then end up having to go to, to Marvel Stadium, play at Docklands, and then up to Ballarat. I do think it is a bridge too far. This Brisbane team isn't at its peak quite yet. It's still figuring out where it's going to be, where it, what, what it wants to be with the addition of Joe Dunham. Not like they had forward. to go to Shanghai, Paddy. It's just not like they have to go to Shanghai. Correct, correct. But um, I don't think we'll be going to Shanghai for a little while by the looks of things. But um, That's true. I just think this is going to be too difficult. The Dogs are an amazing touch. They haven't lost a game yet and they haven't really had a really bad game. The, the Collingwood game was a bit of a fizzer. They did that easy. Had an absolute ripper against the Eagles. One of the, probably what will be one of the games of the season which they got up in. They showed fantastic temperament and then they did the right thing against North Melbourne by just coming out and bludgeoning them. So I think that the Red Hot Dogs will get up by seven or eight goals against the Lions team that won't necessarily be bad, but just be a little bit exhausted. It's going to be interesting. That is for sure. I kind of think that the lack of travel that they've had to do, and in, by that I mean between their games the last three weeks might actually help Brisbane. You know, it's not like they've had to go to Perth and then had to go to Tassie and then had to go to some, you know, they, they stayed within a two to three hour kind of radius you know, of, of, of their, of their previous, you know, games, you know, it's, it's, it's within a three hour drive or so of each other. I assume, I don't know. I don't drive, but anyways, it'll be <laughs> interesting to see. I could totally see the dogs winning this game. They do play Ballarat really well. Uh, I just think that the dogs coming off of such a Brisbane encounter can't see them performing well. Or I can't see them performing well enough to beat Brisbane. But should be an interesting one. This one I think is a lot less interesting. Marvel Stadium, St Kilda versus West Coast. Uh, Patty, you can start with this one. Can the Saints rebound? I think they can, but it won't be this week. I think West Coast, uh, I like the dogs, in really good touch. And I don't see them losing this game. Uh, even at Marvel Stadium, so yeah, I'm, I'm taking I'm taking West Coast fairly comfortably. I reckon by about four or five goals. I am expecting a response from the Saints, but I'm really not expecting it to be conducive to a victory. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, I don't think that West Coast since the 2018 flag, they haven't consistently looked like a Premiership contender since that 2018 decider. So the challenge for the Eagles will be, can they back up finally, right, having two really, 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 really good wins in a row early in a year and stamping their authority on the premiership race in 2021? I think they will. I'm tipping the Eagles by five goals 
similar to what you were saying earlier about the Saints, Patty, I'll echo it and say, if the Bombers can belt the Saints by 75 points, surely that same Saints outfit cannot be expected to be the Eagles. Surely. No. Surely not. No. I think West Coast will be looking at this game, licking their chops. Darling Kennedy will have a day out, I reckon. But I do expect a little bit of heart from the Saints. It's why it won't be a blowout. But about five goals. On to the Gold Coast Carlton game at Metricon Stadium. I'm going to do something that I normally don't do and actually tip Carlton to win a game. What? What's that? I can hear them saying. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I was really impressed by the Blues against Fremantle. And Gold Coast have too many injuries. Now, games between these two teams are normally pretty entertaining. And it's normally the earlier in the season that they meet, the more likelihood that the Suns are going to win. However, with the amount of injuries that Gold Coast has and the form that Carlton are in now, finally they beat Fremantle. I expect the Blues to win. I'm tipping them by 17 points. Interestingly enough, you mentioned Jared Witts. Without a Ruckman, we wish Witts all the best for his recovery and Sanday as well. I don't think the Suns will handle what I expect will be a clearance domination by Carlton, who, according to uh, the stats on afl.com.au, the Blues are the number one clearance team this season so far. There you go. I don't think Gold Coast is going to be able to handle that. So I'm tipping the Blues. Yeah, I'm tipping the Blues as well, bugger it. (laughs) I I never like tipping them. They always tend to absolutely burn me. Um, But I think, well, Chris Purgess is, Chris Burgess, sorry, is it Purgess for some reason, um, is going to be their their Ruckman and he's a Backman. Um, I just don't see, even though Pitonet isn't necessarily one of the league's best rucks. Gold Coast have no Ruckman. Um, and I just don't see this Gold Coast team winning the week after they have their number one Ruck and every other Ruck on their list injured. Until they have some time to really figure out how to approach it, I think that like over the course of a week or two. So, yeah, I'm taking Cup by 10 points, but if, if Gold Coast win, I won't be surprised. I just don't see this Carlton team being a finals contender this year. I don't see Gold Coast necessarily doing it either. I do think, though, that Gold Coast have an opportunity to really get a hold of the Blues if things do go that way kind of early. If if we do see um, Ben King getting a bit of a hold of Jacob Wiedering, I don't think necessarily that will happen, but I think this does have the potential to be a blowout in favour of the Suns more than it does the Blues, but I am going to tip the Blues by 10 points. Speaking of a game that should be pretty interesting, Collingwood versus GWS at the MCG. Patty, I'll let you start with this one. The Giants, with their backs against the wall, can they pull off the upset? Yeah, I think the Giants are probably knackered, really, at this point of the year. Um I think they're still reeling, to be honest, for a number of probably will be for a number of re- of of weeks of weeks um, after the injuries they've suffered. They were they were okay against Melbourne and Patches, but I just think that the weight of injury is going to be too much. Collingwood are probably feeling a bit better about themselves. 
really, uh, I think over the last fortnight, they've, they've probably played some better footy, even though they did lose to Brisbane, that they know they're not necessarily that far off, off really being a very good team. I don't know if they're, they're probably not a finals team, I reckon. They are close to, and I think this is probably a game that, that I would happily tip them in. So Collingwood to win at home. I expect Collingwood to win as well. Although, not to rub it in, Collingwood fans, but do you remember the last time that Collingwood played GWS at the MCG? Harsh. And that Collingwood were expected to win? I'm sure Harsh. that all of the 20 giant supporters out there will remember that game very well. Oh, yes. Even yes, harsher. <laughs> Speaking of that game, this, this matchup with the Giants against, you know, backs against the wall, this is the type of game that a team with their backs against the wall would come out and win. But that being said, GWS, just too many injuries, bad form. Collingwood haven't been that bad this year. Aside from round one, where they were disappointing against the Dogs, you know, to comfortably beat the Blues and then to lose a heartbreaker against Brisbane, any team that loses by a goal or less is always unlucky. And so Collingwood were very unlucky in that game, even if they did end up uh, throwing that game away late in the piece. I expect the Pies to win, and they should win well. But yet again, this is the exact type of game that I was mentioning before, that with their upcoming draw, Collingwood can't afford to lose. So the pressure's on Collingwood to win. I think they will win. I'm tipping them by four goals. Would I be shocked if it's by more? No. Would I be shocked if the Giants win? Yes, but at the same time, not really, because it is Collingwood versus GWS at the MCG. Woo! Moving on. North Melbourne versus Adelaide on Sunday afternoon at Marvel Stadium. I'll start off with this one, Patty, if that's all right. Uh, look, I think at some point this year, the sparks from the Crows' hot start will fizzle and fade away eventually. As the season progresses, you know, Crows are a young team. I don't think they're going to maintain the race throughout the rest of the year. However, that won't happen in round four. While I don't think the Crows will win by 100 points, I do expect Tex to kick a big bag. But I also expect North Melbourne to show a lot of heart and spirit after such an abominable performance, a shambolic performance, a performance that even Brazil in the 2014 World Cup Losing to, I believe, Germany. I don't know. I don't know soccer. Yeah. 7-1. Even that. And even that, at least Brazil's a good team in that respective sport. But I expect North Melbourne to come out and show a lot of heart. I still tip the Crows by 41 points, though. The challenge for Adelaide in this game will be how they handle being firm favorites. Because they are firm favorites heading into this. How are they going to handle being firm favorites going into a game of football against a team that should come out breathing fire? I think I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, I think, look, if Josh Bruce kicks 10 against North Melbourne, Tex might kick 30. Um, Uh Fred Fanning might be in danger. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Adelaide to win this one. I hope North Melbourne have some sort of response, but I've been really impressed with the Crows this year. I don't know if I don't think it'll be a finals year for them necessarily, but they've got a lot 
of spunk about them. They're good to watch. They're a fun team. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'll take the Crows by about seven goals, I think. Yep, fully agree with that one. On to what might be a sneaky chance for being the game of the round, Melbourne versus Geelong at the MCG mid-Sunday afternoon. Paddy, you can start with this one. Uh, who's going to pull off the victory at the G? I like this game a lot. I can't wait. I'm probably going to miss it. Um, but it's going to be a cracker. And I really think Melbourne will win this because Geelong have been really lucky two weeks in a row. Obviously, they got smacked by Adelaide, touched up first week. Should have lost to Brisbane um, if it, the umpiring decision basically saves them. You take the four points, you go next week, and they play a Hawthorne side. They weren't very good Geelong against the Hawks, and the Hawks really made a late dash for it, ended up just coming short. But I think this is the week where we where Geelong, we spend a week afterwards talking about are Geelong actually still going to really be a massive chance to win the flag? Because I reckon even with potentially Cameron coming back, um, Dangerfield's still out, but they, Higgins goes straight out. There's a lot of issues with the the age of this list that it's not really conducive to football that is really premiership winning type quality. There's not really that energy we're seeing from younger players. We've seen that Geelong like to play a slower, controlling brand of football, which as we've seen with Port Adelaide, Sydney, Western Bulldogs, Richmond, when they've been firing this year, it's been quick. It's been running. It's been overlapped. Geelong want to stop the game in its tracks. So I don't know if that's really conducive to success. I think Melbourne are very exciting. I think they're far too quick, really, for Geelong. And I think that they have the inside battalion of Oliver Petrarca, young, a young fella in James Jordan, who I really like the, the, the look of, Jack Viney through there, Angus Brayshaw. Um, I think this, this I think Melbourne get up by, by four goals. I'm, I'm really bullish about them. I love Cozzy Pickett. Max Gorn's having a really good year when he pushes forward. They can hurt you in a lot of ways. I think Melbourne uh, get win number four on the season. It's the D's versus the daddies. <laughs> the D's versus the dad squad, dad bods, dad squad. Do I think that Geelong can pull it off? I don't think they can. This is an interesting game because on one hand, you have a team that has won their first three games of the year convincingly. First time since 2005 that Melbourne has won three games to start the season. Congratulations, Melbourne. At the same time, who have you played? Really, who have you played? You played Fremantle without a lot of their tools. Congratulations, you won that game. You played the Giants' mountain of injury. Congratulations. Then you played the Saints, who are disappointing and aren't living up to expectations. This is their first real test, Melbourne. Hmm. On the other hand, you're playing a team that should be one and that should be zero and three, really, to start the year. If it wasn't for a dodgy non-call at the end of the Brisbane game. And a goal review that I think, I don't, I don't think that that ball was touched. That Wingard shot a goal late in the piece that had he kicked it and had it been clear to goal, that the Hawks would have won. I don't think it was touched. But maybe that's just me and my anti-Geelong agenda. I don't know. You have two teams heading into this one. Crucial for both of these teams. 
I agree with you about the speed. I think Melbourne's too fast for Geelong. But more than that, I think with Geelong, the, uh, sorry, with Melbourne, their defence has had three games of opposition just feeding them the ball. May and Lever have had a great start to the year, but only because teams keep giving them opportunities to take intercept mark after intercept mark after intercept mark after intercept mark. And Gorn, best ruffman in the competition, here's why I say he's the best ruffman in the competition, proves it against the Giants. Not only can he float in defense and take a big pack mark in defense, but he can go forward and he can snap a goal or two. Yeah. Not many ruffmen in the competition can do yeah, that and can dominate the ruffle at Max Gorn. So because of all of those reasons, I think the daddies will lose and will go two and two. The D's to go four and oh for the first time in forever. I don't even know. It'll be the first time in forever. And Melbourne might be, depending on how the Sydney and Bulldogs games go, they might be the last a team without a defeat this season. Think about that. Imagine saying that before the season started. Absolutely incredible, Melbourne. Moving on to the last game of the round in Perth at Optus Stadium. It's the Dockers versus the Hawks. Oh, geez, another tough one. But this is a tough one because I think both teams are struggling, but both teams are struggling for different reasons. I think Hawthorne are a season or two away from returning to finals before. As such, they're too young to take full advantage to play four quarters and to take advantage of a game and to win, obviously, round one, notwithstanding. Fremantle, yeah. I expect Fife to be back, but even if he isn't, the Dockers have proven this year that they are a much better team at home than they are away. Away, they lost by five goals against Melbourne and they lost by 45 points against Carlton at home they crush the Giants by five or six goals. I fully expect the Dockers to win this one. Uh, it's a challenge for a young team like Hawthorne as well to travel. We haven't seen the Hawks play outside of Victoria yet. And until they can prove that they can play in the state, I cannot tip them to win outside of Victoria or obviously outside of their second home down in Launceston. I expect Fremantle to win by 20 points. Could be more, could be less, but it should be Fremantle, Frio, Hevo. Way to go. Yeah, I um I don't know, I still worry about Frio with their with their outs. Um I think this is the sort of game that they probably respond in. Hawthorne are, are a bit better than I thought they would be also. I really like I think he's probably my favorite player in the competition. Uh CJ Jaff, Chankoff Jaff. He is just Awesome. He's Fantastic he's got player. he's got every aerobic ability, every athletic ability in spades. He has a leap. He's fast. He's agile. He can jump over things. He can. He's freakish, but he has the athletic ability. The question is his footballing ability. But he's figured that out as well because this dude literally gets it at half back, runs 40, 60 meters, puts it inside fifty. Like there was a there was an instance. He got a fifty meter penalty. Took off from the fifty. Basically ran past the mark, kept on going, put it deep inside 50. He's just such an exciting player to watch. He's almost on the all-Australian halfback flank is how good he's been. Um, wow. I really liked what I saw from Hawthorne against Geelong. I think Jagger O'Meara really stepped up in their midfield. Um, their forward line is the question mark, however, because it's just not really producing 
a hell of a lot. And I think they will have issues probably outscoring Frio. So I've, I've got Frio by a handful of points, but this is genuine 50-50, I think. Lots of 50-50 games early in the season, Patty, and that is why it is so exciting to have football back. Thank you so much for joining me, Patty, for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Hope the Tigers, for your sake, play well against Port. I hope for the sake of my tipping that they don't, but good luck. Thanks, mate. Best of luck tonight. Should be a cracker. Should be a cracker indeed. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Join me and a co-host next week to discuss the AFLW Grand Final preview, as well as a review of the AFL Men's Grand 4 and a preview of Grand 5. But until then, adios, amigos. Adios. Adios.